I guess over the past four weeks, well, let me backtrack, four weeks before the last two weeks, you do the math in your head, and uh, we did this series called Ecclesia, which really unpacked the church that we believe we were called to be, and I kind of laid out the vision for where we're going in 2012, and what was going to be happening, and where we were becoming, well, well, since that point, and I don't know if all of you are here, and if you're here for the first time, you're going, uh, you know, I don't didn't hear any of that, but... But since that point, some things have changed, and, uh, which is good. In, in anticipation, God is preparing us to really step into our future a little bit earlier than we had kind of originally planned and dreamed out. So I'm going to share a little a few things with you before we kind of dive into our, our little look at Advent and the picture of Advent this morning, um, because it's important for us to know where we're going as, as a church and as, as a community. When I first laid out the picture about six weeks ago on, on what God was doing and where we were going, it really... Um, was kind of as a result of what God had been doing over the past years and that this community began as a mission community of Westminster Church and, and we morphed out of a contemporary service into a, a passion to really reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that, that sort of tr- turned um, the, our picture of church upside down a little bit. We felt like the gospel was a sent message. It was a message that was, was really called to be sent into the world, into the lives of people. And, and we really felt called to reach people in a really different way. Instead of saying, hey, come see us, we wanted to be and exist as a community that lived its mission and its heart and its gospel focus. And, and so this little mission community was really born a few years ago as that kind of expression of the gospel. And since then, God has been doing a ton of things in us, and he has been sort of morphing and changing our hearts from being a mission community to existing as a church community. And we had been anticipating that, and your, your leaders had kind of been leading towards that, and we had worked with the leadership of WPC to come to a place where at the end of 2012, we were going to release Divine as a community, and we'd become our own functional church. And we were all excited about that, and that's, that is still happening. It's just happening a lot faster than we originally planned. Um, as of last Sunday, <laughs> that's pretty fast, huh? As of last Sunday, we've officially been released by WPC, and we are functioning as our own functioning and, and kind of Christ-following church. Now, your leaders have been anticipating this for some time. We've been kind of working through some things over the course of the summer. And so, literally today, right, as recognized by the state of Oklahoma, we are now functioning as our own church. And we are on the books as, yeah. As the Vine Community Church, we exist, and once you're recognized by the state and Jesus, I guess that's all you need. So um, we've, we've got all these things in place, and so we are, are working in a, in a sort of hastened fashion. That's why you don't have bulletins today, because we don't have a copier yet or any of those kind of things. We've been using and living with Westminster for so long that they have allowed us very graciously um, to, to kind of... Um, use all those kind of things, and now we've got to find our, our own way to do those things, and so those are very exciting stuff, and, and Westminster has blessed us, and they want to continue to support us as a mission, but they feel like for their kind of movement into the future and where they need to be, it's best if we just go ahead and, and do our thing that God is leading us to do, and so they have released us to do that. What that means is that this is your church. I mean, we have officially become your church, and we are a church together, and what that means is that we're going to be growing into our relationship and what God is doing us in the future. The four kind of action points that we laid out in 2012, they still exist. They're still very much important part of who we are. Some of those may be sped up, some of them may be prolonged, but those four things are what we're going to be living into in 2012. So we're very excited about that, but our dynamic in our life together has, has changed, and it has changed for, well, the exciting, and it's changed for the adventurous, because now God has sort of said, look, if you say you're going to follow me, then, then follow me, and we are going to 
follow Jesus because there's no other choice. I don't want to live life any other way. And so God is calling us to follow him and we're doing that. So as now we exist as a vine community church and we are living out our mission and call together, what that means is that this is your church. This is our church together and we get to celebrate what God is doing in this place. And so from this point on, from this sort of Thanksgiving week, we mark our new birth in Christ Though we've always existed as a community and as a church, because we believe the word church means more than just organized by the state of Oklahoma, um, we've always existed that way, really from a standpoint of new birth and exciting new ventures. Today marks the first worship service in our life together, and we can actually say that our church is new as of today and that we are beginning this journey, all that God is doing and has done for us from here on into the future. And so these are exciting days. We're going to be talking about it a lot in the upcoming weeks. But just so you know and you hear from us saying, God, I mean, God is doing an incredible thing. And we're really excited about that. So big Sunday for us with not a lot of fanfare. Just sort of, it is what it is. And uh, we're following Jesus in this together. So very exciting things. I'll be happy to talk and answer questions after. But, but that's just sort of to get everybody caught up. So, as I mentioned, this Sunday sort of marks the beginning of, uh, of Advent. We use a sort of Advent wreath as a reminder that, that this is more than just a season of kind of gift giving and holiday shopping and things. And if you've been with us at any point in time over the past two years as we celebrate Advent, you know that we think a little bit differently about Advent around here. The word Advent is actually a Latin word and it really means arrival or coming. And there, most of us kind of know that Advent is marking the, the coming of Christ or the arrival of Jesus, but really there are two Advents. The first Advent was marked by the Hebrew people as they eagerly expected the coming of the Messiah. Remember, the Jewish people were waiting on the Messiah and Jesus coming into this earth, um, onto this earth as God's Son was the first Advent, the expectation of the coming Messiah. The second advent is as followers of Christ, we are eagerly awaiting the coming of Jesus again. We believe that scripture teaches that Jesus will return. And so advent is marked really in two pieces for us. It's marked as a remembering of the inbreaking of Christ into the world, the incarnation, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. And it's marked by the expectation that Jesus will come again. And so as we celebrate these weeks, we do it with this sort of grateful kind of looking back on what God has done and with an eager expectation of what will come, with the reconciliation that will happen when Jesus returns and our hearts united with God again, and this sort of picture-perfect love that God has for us. So Advent is more than a season. It's a looking back and a longing and an expectation all rolled into, into one. And it has so much more to do with, than just with this sort of infant Christ child, right? The question really becomes, what does this season mark for you? What does it mark for us? It's no secret that as a culture, we have been sort of enslaved with a consumerism that has dominated this season. And it's our heartbeat as a community to turn that upside down and think a little bit differently about Advent. Take a look at this video, and then we'll unpack God's Word together.
It's a video that we've actually used before, but it, I, keep, I keep going back to it because it's such a powerful picture of some really specific truth. The idea that, that as a country, we spend $450 billion a year on Christmas. I mean, that number is, is staggering. And for the past two years, our community has really partnered with other churches to try and rethink Christmas. Two years ago, we, we got enough money together and we dug a deep water well in Bupachai, Uganda, in a community that didn't have access to clean water, in an area that we had been in in Uganda that same year. Last year, we partnered with Teeth Savers and, and another church, and we built a dental clinic in Nicaragua. We laid the foundation for health and hygiene for people that would never have had it otherwise. And this year, we're going to be doing something a little bit different as we focus on, on a group of people within the Oklahoma City metro area and how our community can impact them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that um, in just a moment. But the idea is simply this. What if we recaptured this idea of Advent, this idea of Christmas, and turned it over to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because certainly this holiday season is not about what we buy and how much money we spend but instead about how we live incarnationally and relationally together. This morning, we're going to just take a quick glance at the book of Luke chapter 1, because I have some other things I want to do at the very end here to tell you about. But I want to open this up by really exploring this expectation of of what it means to really worship in the first part of our um, kind of Advent conspiracy look, this, this piece of what does it really mean to worship fully, to really engage our hearts and our lives into Christmas. I mean, I don't know about you, but Meredith and I, were, we, we spent a little bit of time, a little bit of vacation with, some in, with our in-laws and, and my brother-in-law and his wife this past week over, over Thanksgiving. And, and we were caught up on Friday, and the two of us were having this conversation about going, well, what are we going to do for Christmas? We're going to budget and we're going to spend. And, and we looked at each other and we thought, how are we already here trying to decide what we're going to spend and how much money we're going to spend on each other and on our kids for Christmas this year? And we actually began this Advent season off by talking about what we were going to spend. And so we stopped and we said, let's just quit doing that. And let's start by saying, what are we going to give away? So before we set a budget for Christmas and decide how much we can spend on our children and on each other, let's decide how much we feel called to give away first. And what we feel called to do differently. And then we can then look at our lives and say, well, what do we want to do for the kids? And, and it was an intentional small move. It's not world changing or anything like that, but it was an intentional small move for her and I to, to actually re-grasp this idea that I'm talking about today. Which is, how do we turn the idea and the notion of Advent upside down? Instead of being something that grabs us and enslaves us to a sort of consumerism and busyness, we take charge of the fact that we are called to live differently. And it all begins with worship. As we open up the book of Luke chapter 1, I want to invite you to pray with me. And then we're going to look at how this story first unfolded in the life of Mary. And what her response was to the promise of the coming Christ. Let's take a moment and just pray that God would open our hearts together. Lord, I thank you that, um, that you love us so deeply and dearly that you broke into humanity through, this, through your son, Jesus Christ, that God, you are perfect and that you love us deeply. And the Father, I love this season. I love all that it represents and all that it means. I love the way that it feels and the way that things smell and the way that the light, I just love it all. My kids love it all. My family love it all. But Father... I confess that at times I'm so wrapped up in the stuff of it that I forget why, why we're called to celebrate and worship in the first place. And I know that most of us on some level have probably been there. And so God, we confess right now that we want to begin this process of Advent correctly with worship. That everything we do is for your glory and your honor. 
Take a moment and just ask God to open your heart in a small way this morning. Just invite God to open you up in a very small way to his love. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. Pray that, that God would just, he would just do something in their life. He would just do something in their life. Be in the habit of praying for the people around you. God, we pray that as we open your word this morning, you would teach our hearts in a very powerful and very real way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to take a quick look at this because I really think that, that how Mary responds to this sort of truth that is unfolding in her life is really, really important. And if we're going to step into Advent, we have to step into it with the, with the understanding that we are called to first and foremost worship and worship fully in a way that maybe defines or defies, excuse me, all of our kind of expectations and understandings of the holiday. Listen to this story as it unfolds in Luke chapter 1 verse 36. Or verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this, with, this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you, and the Holy One to be, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was, who was said to be barren in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now this is a very familiar story. It's one that we have probably grown up with hearing. It's the angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to be bearing the son, the very son of God. And it's, it's a really interesting way that it plays out. I mean, here is this young woman. And Mary is a young woman, and she is betrothed or pledged to be married to Joseph. And marriages were arranged back in the days. You didn't, you know, kind of fall in love and do this sort of dating thing. You were set up by families, and they were very strategic. And she was pledged to be married to this guy named Joseph. And it had probably been planned out for a decade or so. And so she was pledged to be married to Joseph. She probably hadn't even spent that much time with Joseph, but she was pledged, and she was a virgin. And these things were very important. And an angel of the Lord appears to her and he says, basically, greetings, you who are favored by God or that who God's favor rests, right? And then it says that Mary was very troubled by this greeting, which makes sense because, you know, here an angel shows up in her life and says, hey, look, God really likes you, right? Well, that's not how normally people are greeted. You know, usually when you're greeted with some really good news like that, it's followed by the bad news. Like, you know, in high school when your girlfriend or your boyfriend goes, look, you're really awesome, you know? You know that's followed by, look, this isn't going to work out, right? And you're going to go, if I'm so awesome, why are you breaking up with me? I don't understand that. But it's always, you know, sort of, hey, look, you who are favored. And she almost is waiting for this sort of other shoe to fall kind of deal or that's very troubling. And the angel says, listen, you who are favored, God is going to do something remarkable with you. 
you are going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. And he's going to be known as the son of the Most High God, and, and God is going to do incredible things through him. And, G- and Mary says, well, how, how could this possibly be? I mean, I'm a virgin, I'm young, and I, and I, and I know how these things work. There is no possible way that I can be pregnant if I'm still a virgin. And the angel says, look, it's going to happen because God is amazing. And the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And this is going to all be God's doing. And this Jesus will be known as the Son of God. Even God is doing something in your cousin who is said to be barren. Nothing is impossible with God. He is doing something remarkable. And Mary's response was, well, well then let it be. You know, as we think about worship in the season of Advent and really stepping into this sort of month of celebration and worship and, and thinking about with expectation what God has done and what God is going to do, we have to really understand an important theological concept. And that concept is the idea of the incarnation. Now, it's kind of a fancy word, and a lot of us may have heard it in, uh, you know, in church or in circles or in books or whatever, but, but it's one that we really have to pay important attention to because the incarnation, by definition, is really the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the word incarnation really means from a theological perspective, the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And we, rep- we recognize that when Jesus was born in, in a manger in Bethlehem on this earth, This is the incarnation. God is now in the flesh. God is now in the person of Jesus Christ. It means that all of heaven has broken into humanity through the cries of an infant. And the incarnation is incredibly important because it turns all of our paradigms and our understandings completely upside down. Because I think a lot of us see this picture of, of Christmas as this sort of a, a manger scene where this little infant is lying in there and he's so cute and he's swaddled, whatever that word means, and a bunch of blankets with a camel for some reason and, and a bunch of animals and, and, and every one of them is represented and they're all sitting there and Mary and Joseph are happy and they're holding each other and everybody's singing, oh little town of Bethlehem or, or go tell it on the mountain and this is our picture of Christmas. You know, it's the one that we've seen in all of our Christmas pageants growing up, and, and the, 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 you know, it's just a picture of what we have, and it's peaceful. But you know what? From a theological standpoint, the incarnation is anything but peaceful. It is a radical collision between heaven and earth. The incarnation, as John puts it, is the light piercing the darkness, It is an explosion of all that is holy and mighty and perfect and sinless into a creation that is messed up and broken and flawed. It is the promise of what God is getting ready to do to the person of Jesus Christ on the cross with all of sinful humanity. Here you have God in the very flesh breaking into the world through the womb of a sinful woman. While it looks peaceful on paper, the incarnation is radical. It is a picture of God's extravagant, amazing, world-changing love. It's not kumbaya, hand-holding, everything is great. It is God came to rescue us because we're dying. That we are standing around cloaked in death because of our sinfulness. And God breaks into humanity the person of Jesus Christ. This is the incarnation. This is the picture of where it all begins. And we often fail to remember that, that, that this season marks the rescuing of, of our lives from death to life and should begin with worship. Worship. Not stuff and things and credit cards and debt and money. 
not how we're called to celebrate. How we're called to celebrate is by recognizing that Jesus came to give me life. And that changes the way that I see the world and it changes the way that I see this entire season. Look at how Mary responds. Not only does she say, look, I, uh, okay, as you say, she has this long visit with Elizabeth, her cousin, and they kind of talk about all kinds of things, and her, her womb really leaps when, when John the Baptist, who is Meredith, that's funny, <laughs> my wife gave birth to John the Baptist, um, who is Elizabeth's son, when Elizabeth comes in the presence of Mary, her, her womb literally leaps, right, because John the Baptist, in the womb, recognizes this sort of amazing thing that's taking place, and it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful moment. But Mary's response to all this comes in verse 46, and it's titled in your Bible, Mary's Song. I'm not really sure why. I don't know if she sung it, but it says that she said it, right? This is what she says in response to her meeting with Elizabeth and all that's taking place. And but remember the uncertainty and the chaos that's happening in Mary's life? Here she was just set up for her wedding, right? She's getting ready to get married, and yet God steps in and says things are going to change. You talk about all the uncertainty. What do you mean I'm giving birth to God's son? I'm going to name him Jesus. I already had this list of names picked out. And, you know, all these things. Uncertainty. This is how she responds. She responds this way. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of a humble state of a servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You know, I look at Mary's response and I say, how do we respond to the promise of God in our own lives? We respond with questions and concerns and fears and anxieties. We respond with oftentimes anything but worship. But what if our response to God breaking into our lives was worship? What if our response to Christmas, to Advent, was just worship? Not just in terms of when we gather here and we sing songs that we like. But in terms of how I treat people and how I act and how I live and the decisions that I make, every part of it is represented in worship. We've talked in here a lot about worship, and we recognize that worship is so much more than just the songs we sing. Worship is a condition of our heart. It's how we set ourselves up before God, which means how I treat my wife and my children is worship, or can be. How you react to people and spend time with people can be an expression of your love for God because of how you set set your heart up. What if we lived as a response to God's promise in our life is worship? So you're going to be faced with a lot of choices this season. You're going to be faced with how to act and how to live and how to spend and how to give and how you treat your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, or whatever. You're going to be kind of faced with a lot of things. The question is, how do we respond to those things? Do we respond in worship? Do we respond by by desiring to live relationally and incarnationally the way that Jesus did when he broke into our lives? God could have redeemed humanity through a lot of ways. I mean, this is God. God could have done something remarkable and and, and, and sort of snapped his fingers and, and done something different. But he chose to break into the world of the cries of an infant and to send his son to the cross to die, to become the perfect sacrifice for our sin and to have a relationship with us means that our call to follow Christ is a relational one. It's an incarnational one. It's called, we're called to break into the world with the person of Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier that we really want to think differently about this season. And I want to challenge you as individuals and as families to really turn your paradigms upside down. I want to challenge you to rethink the way that you do Advent and Christmas in your own homes. I want you to challenge to think really differently about every moment of every day and how you treat and react and live with people. 
I want every moment of your life to be penetrated by this idea of worship. And so we're challenging everybody to do two things this Christmas, right? We're calling it sort of our Advent challenge, really fancy term, marketing genius in me. We're really challenging you to do two things, all right? And, and I'm going to explain these two things, and I'm going to take a look at something real quick, and then we're going to kind of wrap all this, all this up. But here's what we've got. Back there in the back of the room, we've got these baskets, okay? There's enough for everybody to have like five, so we're only going to send you home with one. No. You've got a basket, you've got this piece of paper, and in this piece of paper, it's going to explain what I'm getting ready to tell you. But we're going to challenge everybody to do two things. One, we're going to challenge ourselves as a community to spend every day in God's Word through this entire season. I don't know how much time you spend in the Bible. I don't know how much time you spend in God's Word. But as you, if you were here last week, you heard me talk about the fact that if we're not in God's Word, we are not learning and knowing about who God is and His character and His desire for our lives. So we need to be in the Word of God. All right? We're challenging everybody to do that. And here's how. It's really simple. Okay? We're challenging you to, to do this in, in the same way so that we're all engaged in the exact same kind of process together. And you can do it either on your iPhone or on your, your BlackBerry or on your other Android device. You can do it from your computer. But all you've got to do is go to Uversion, download the app. All the instructions are here. Download the app and, and go to the reading plan, Rethinking Christmas. All right? You can do it on your computer, Uversion.com. You can do it on your iPhone. Maybe you already have Uversion. It's Life Church's app for the Bible. It's, it's really fantastic. But they have a bunch of reading plans, and one of them on there is called Rethinking Christmas, and it is phenomenal. And it gives you all kinds of instructions and what to do. And I'm going to challenge you to put that on your computer or on your phone and to engage in God's Word every single day. Now, I know some of you are going, well, I don't have a computer. You know, well, we can get you the list of those things. Just come tell me. All right? But for those of you that do have a computer, do have a phone, you can do it this way. Because we all want to be about God's Word first and foremost. My challenge is for you to get involved in the Word together. We started, my wife and I started, and we started reading the verses together as a family in the evening. So there are ways to do it. All right? my, my daughter has an iTouch, and she has a version on her iTouch, and she just pulls them up and reads with us. I don't even know how she does it. It's magic. But nonetheless... This is the first challenge. I won't spend much time talking about it. It's self-explanatory, but we want you to begin and begin today. All right, the 27th, and it's 25 days of rethinking Christmas from a scriptural standpoint as you walking through God's word. And we're going to challenge everyone to do it together. If you're not a Bible reader, you need to become a Bible reader. It will change your life. All right. The second thing is this. We want you to rethink how you give. We actually want you to spend less money this Christmas. I know, crazy. But I want you to spend less money on yourselves and on each other and take those resources and let's pull them together and impact the world around us if we all gave one less gift this year and took that money pulled it together we could change the lives of people in need so what if we kind of made that even go a little bit farther and we started collecting resources that we would normally do um, things with during the season of Advent and then pooled all those resources so what if every Thursday instead of going to Starbucks you took that 250 or that four dollars and you saved it or what if as a family you decided that Monday nights we're going to eat at home and spend time together and we took that $40 or that $30 and we saved it and we pooled it together and we impacted the lives of people? What we're challenging you to do is over the next three weeks, between now and December 18th, to save as much money and resources as you can and substitute those things for time with people. So instead of just doing this or giving that away or buying this gift, play a game at home. Instead of buying dad a tie, invite dad over and play Pictionary or whatever. You know, watch a movie, do something together and take those resources and save them. We've put these harvest baskets out. We want you to take one home, if you've got a family or if you're an individual, and take it home and put it somewhere you'll see it. Ours is on the kitchen table, all right? 
And we want you to fill this basket with your change, with your dollars, with your resources that you would normally have spent on Advent things. Now, I don't want you to put a check in the bottom of this thing for $40. doesn't do me any good. And then go do whatever you're going to do. I want you to challenge yourself to, th- actually, I'll take the check. I'm not going to lie to you, but no, I'm kidding. I want you to think differently. All right? I want you to say, let's intentionally do this. We've already started this process as a family, and it's really great because my kids are digging through our couch cushions for change, right? Because they want to fill it with change, and they want to take it out of their piggy banks, and they want to do this. And here's what we're going to do with this money. On the 18th, we're all going to bring these harvest baskets to church, right here to worship. And it's going to be full or half full or a quarter full with your dollars and with your cents and with, you know, your stuff in there that you've collected. And we're going to have two big baskets, and we're going to offer them all as part of our worship experience to the Lord. All right? And we're going to be partnering with an organization called the Sparrow Project. I'm going to show you a video in just a second. Who is working with international refugees that live right here in the Oklahoma City area, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And we're going to partner with the Sparrow Project to take the gospel into the lives of people that have never heard. Take a look at this video and let's think about this partnership and all that it could be. Our project started from a life group that my husband Brad and I were in for several years and we just started seeing needs in the community and decided to strategically place ourselves in the international refugee population of Oklahoma City. We're a missions mobilization organization and our passion is to create avenues that move awareness into action. We focus on four areas at Sparrow Project. One is combating poverty which is through Sparrow Resource which is formerly Mercy Ministries. Um, The second area we focus on is foster care and adoption, which is called Sparrow Legacy. The third area is working with marginalized women, uh, mainly in the human trafficking arena um, through Sparrow Aspire. The final one is called Sparrow Voice, and that is uh, working on the behalf and with uh, international refugees. Uh, Refugees are just people. They're just like you and I. And so the inspiring thing about working with uh, refugees is just getting to know them and their story. It's so very encouraging to hear how they have triumphed over the worst and most difficult situations this world has to offer. We really, really believe that um, there are strengths and values in each community that will help them grow as a community themselves. Our goal isn't to get them just to do well in America. Our goal is to identify the strengths that they all have as people, develop those, and then help them make change for their own country. The Language Lab is an absolutely key component to um, the development plan for a refugee family. As you know, in any country, you really are going to be only successful as you are mastering the, the language. And so now we have the Rosetta software level one through five. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or it doesn't matter if you're a level five, you're going to be going and moving forward in the next level. It's been crucial in getting jobs and really becoming truly assimilated and effective in our culture. I came to the United States 2008, I don't know English language, but Sparon helped for me, the learning English. I'm working the business coffee right now. Now that I am working with the public, my English getting better and better. 
It's important to learn English because I, I need to in future take it profession. I'm thinking in future go college. I love cooking, maybe go learn so like chief take it classes for cooking class or I love for dentist, dentist assistant and I need to learn English so much. But anyway, I need to learn English. The reason we love partnering with churches and operate on that model is that we love being able to um, have a volunteer or a small group and be in deep relationship with a family and um, and just through serving them, sharing Jesus with them. A lot of times I don't know if my friendship is as valuable to them as theirs is to me. And it's so interesting to me that more and more of our volunteers are experiencing the same change in outlook. I was introduced to Sparrow Project a couple years ago um, through a life group mission. And I got to meet a precious woman named Monsura that has just become a true friend. We just really connected as moms and as wives and um, just started spending time together. She's one of the most generous, hospitable people I've ever met. We know things will only change in the city when lots of or all of the followers of Jesus jump in and um, take action on, on the key issue in the city. I really felt like the Lord said, Brad, I didn't send you to this place to fix people's problems because people aren't really a problem to be solved. I've sent you here to live among people and to live with people and provide friendship. That kind of brought me back to, to the reality of this incarnational work of Christ in our lives, and we believe the church is the answer to do that. Well, obviously the audio was way off on that video, but hopefully you got the idea that the Sparrow Project, their heartbeat is... We have a large international refugee community here in, in the city, and they, they are political refugees that come over here fleeing their countries and, and basically are in pockets all over our city that are from all different countries. And the Sparrow Project partners with them to help provide not only resources like language labs and teaching and education, but they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. They partner with the local church to come in there and give them tools and teach Bible studies. And we actually have had several over the past years of those refugees come be a part of our community. We had an Iranian girl that came and share, uh, came and, and celebrated and worshiped with us. And we've had some unique opportunities with the Sparrow Project. Kim and Brad Bandy are amazing people, and they have a heartbeat for reaching those people in our community that are unreached, that the world basically doesn't know what to do with, our cultural world doesn't know what to do with. And so as we were thinking about our Advent Conspiracy Challenge this year, we really thought about the fact that we want to try and impact the gospel, impact people with the gospel that are right here. So every dollar that we collect on the 18th is going to go to the Sparrow Project to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives of these international refugees, to give them and provide for them the support and the things that they need to build successful lives. Because in return, as they connect with family members that are back in their home countries, they'll be sharing the gospel with them, and we can have a global impact and a global effect by loving people that are right here in our very midst. So our challenge is to take these things, these resources, put this somewhere, collect change in dollars, and you know you can put whatever you want to in there. You don't have to just be piggy bank money. I mean, take the resources that you would normally use, and then we're going to offer on the 18th all of these together. Bring you a little basket, and we're going to offer all this together, and we're going to give to the Lord our rethinking of Christmas as we challenge ourselves to turn this season upside down. 
I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we get ready to close in worship. But I really want to challenge you as we do this to really pray. To say, God, how do you want my family and myself, or how do you want me to rethink this holiday season? We'll have some testimonies that will be coming over the next few weeks that will tell you what families have done to change the way they think about Advent and the way they think about Christmas. We've had families that have, that have stopped giving gifts to in-laws and instead given donations. So they say, instead of giving you the gift this year, we're giving X number of dollars to the Sparrow Project to impact the lives of, of international refugees. On the bottom of your little sheet, wherever I put mine, tells you how you can find out information about the Sparrow Project and you can see the video in its good form, not that form. Um, on, on, the, on the internet where it is, and you can go look at that again, and you can share that with family, and, and there's just some really cool and strategic ways to do that. And then over the next, in the next springtime, we're going to be doing some physical things with the Sparrow Project. We'll introduce our lives to the lives of these international refugees that we are partnering with and sharing the gospel with. So as we continue in worship and close our time together, I challenge you to, to begin to pray, to ask God to help you flip your season upside down and rethink what you do with your money, and rethink what you do with your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you just for these quick moments to gather and worship. God, this challenge that we have before us to involve ourselves in your word in a radical new way, God, and to, to really rethink how we spend our money, to spend less and give more. God, help us partner with the Sparrow Project to impact people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we might fully engage in worship. The God that broke into our lives, this cries of an infant, to rescue us from our sin and give us life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.